Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, we are continuing our preview of earnings season. Today's podcast, we are drilling down and we're looking at the banks and their exposure to the energy sector. This is Money Beat. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Hello, welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser here with you. And this is, this, Grosser, this is not a repeat of what we did yesterday. This but is, it's pretty this close. Is, no, no, it's not even, this is part two. Yeah. This is earnings preview part two. But st- all the themes are all pretty the themes? much the same. You could call it, you could call it. Beating er- down stocks you, you could, who could who could easily beat the lowered expectations. You, you could call this earnings season part two, the quickening. This is like <laughs> the sequel. This is the darker sequel to earnings season part one. And to help us, what we're going to do today, folks, is we're going to drill down into one sector, one important nice sector. Pun. Because they, thank you very much. Uh, because they start reporting this week, and we're talking about the banks. And to help us do that, we have Aaron Lucchetti here in the studio with us, and Rachel Louise Ensign also with us. And Rachel, is this really your first podcast? It is my first podcast. Okay, but you're you're a total professional journalist, long time, folks. You probably know her byline if you haven't heard her on the podcast. So you will do fine, Rachel. I have no doubts. I hope so. Yeah, you, know, you don't even have to hope. You're gonna do great. Uh, Grocer, as you know, I have been really tied up in this crazy New York Fed GDP story all day. Uh, I re- my deep apologies. Uh, no, my, my, it was my, my bad. It wasn't your bad. It wasn't your bad. My point is that I have to say I am not up to speed on the banks as much as you are, so I think you should be the one who kicks this off today. Well, I mean, let's start by just asking, you know, what are some of the big things people are going to be watching this earnings season with banks? Um, and, and let's first start off with no one's expecting this to be a good earnings season for banks. Yeah, I mean, the, the expectations are pretty much right on the floor. Um, the acronym people are using is TER uh, for trading, energy, and rates, and all three are expected to, to drag down earnings. It sounds like from your last podcast, banks are kind of taking the rest of the market down with it, but... Uh, well, I, we had, I, we had, I, the banks have a lot of company. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, you have energy, you have mining, metals. I mean, you name it. It's 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 going to be pretty ugly. I mean, that's one of the things we were talking about yesterday was just the broadening of it. But, yeah. you know, and that speaks to, you know, the financial sector is going to be a bad performer as well. Yeah. So the, the first the first thing I would note is that the, the trading um, environment has not picked up. And that's been disappointing to a lot of banks because there's been a lot of news. There's been a lot of movement. You know, rates sort of started up and then they stopped again. And so... In theory, that should be a pretty good environment for trading desks because there's a lot of changing, um, changing dynamics. Volatility changing usually is good. In volatility, uh, but right. is is that a measure of the fact that the volumes are so low? I mean, at least in equities, look at equities trading, right? And yeah, the numbers move around, the indexes move. You had crazy sell-offs, huge rallies, but the volume has never been very. Is that what that is? Is that there are not as many people actually trading? Yeah, that, and that's killing the banks. That's part of it. I mean, the the clients are not as 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 active as they are in mm-hmm. some quarters, but the banks themselves can't jump in and take risks. I mean, There's, a lot of the trading activity over the years in the past, before the regulations really set in post Dodd Frank, uh, were the banks trading with each other, jumping in, taking risks, trying to you know make a little money here and there, and they're they're much less active and they're much less aggressive on that. So there's just not as much money to be made, especially in the fixed income world where where the desks are trading like treasuries and corporate bonds and, and used to take huge bets. And the, and the trading problem has been, a, has been an issue or the you know downturn in trading revenues has been an issue for many quarters now. 
how much of that is, you know, I mean, Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan CEO, got asked this a few quarters ago. Is it is the downturn, you know, secular or secular? It's it, at this point, most people would say it's secular. The hope for the bulls in that space is that, you know, eventually some players will back out. You know, the European banks will get out of the U.S. trading markets. Maybe some of the U.S. banks get out of Europe, but there are fewer players, and then they could sort of raise prices again. The prices aren't like you know nine ninety nine at the checkout counter, but they're like the bid ask spread between what people are buying and people are selling at. The long story short, it'll get more profitable over time as players get out of the business. So that's taken a long time, though. I mean, you hear a lot about Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank and others sort of. Um, scaling back, but that's that's sort of a multi-year project. That's not happening right away. Now, a year ago, we looked at the bank stocks, and they started to run up. Everyone was getting excited. They were expecting the Fed to raise rates. Fed were finally, you know, raised rates in December. But the bank stocks have gone down. I mean, they're among the worst performers this year. When are, you know, and when are they going to get relief from the Fed um, at all? And how much of that is going to be an impact on the first quarter earnings? That's a great question. It's been the big head fake. People were hoping the Fed would raise rates, the economy would come back, the um, interest income for the banks would would expand for the first time in years. But that's that started a little bit at the end of last year, but then quickly was taken off the table. For how long? That's an open question. Uh, but that's that's a, a big problem for banks. So they have to go back to the cost-cutting playbook, which is not a very inspiring playbook. It's no. not one that gets the stocks going. How much would they need? I mean, look, everyone knew the Fed was going to raise rates at a very slow rate pace, whatever they did. How much do they need? To, look, we, how much do they need the Fed to do? I mean, they raised 25 basis points. That That's not going to change much. Would four hikes of the would four hikes this year, which is what initially we expected, would that have made a significant significant difference for the banks? Yeah, I think that would have been very good for the banks, and that been. was probably part of why um, bank stocks had run up so much last year. Was that that was expected? You know, it was expected that once the hike came, they would just keep going steadily, and that's what they said in December. But right. now we're sort of you know the banks will get a little boost from the December hike in the first quarter, but it's just. Everyone's thinking that it's more of the same, like deja vu from last year, and they're going to have to go back to that same playbook yeah. with expense cuts. So, if, if one, if four hikes this year becomes two hikes, maybe, and two hikes next year, I mean, is it just a matter of of the time frame getting doubled or treble? I mean, if it's one hike a year, I mean, do, are the banks now looking at this as a multi year process before the, the, this pressure from the Fed is off their backs? I think the banks, some of them are are still expecting a number of hikes, but some seem like they've completely given up hope. You know, they're not even factoring rate hikes this year into their assumptions. Yeah. Wow. I mean, the other thing, too, is you have to think about this from a historical context. I mean, we really are talking lower for longer. I mean, we have a long way to go just to get to the historical normal rate cycle, which is, what, around 4%, mm-hmm. 5%. I mean, you know, this is, I mean, even if we move it up slightly, the banks aren't going to get that much help. One thing that's really interesting in this is if the Fed were strictly looking at the domestic economy, they would be much more likely to raise rates. It's all the negative rate uh, pressure coming from Europe and and Japan that's given them big pause. Yeah. And, and that's that's you know really interesting because the domestic indicators month after month the jobs report looks relatively solid. Um, it's the markets and the international economy that's slowed them down. I would argue that point, Aaron. But uh, let's. <laughs> I always sneak that in before the break. <laughs> yeah, that was very short. Yeah, because we're going to take a break now. We're going to come back and we're going to focus on a story that Rachel did. Very interesting aspect 
to the bank balance sheets. Hi, this is Kevin Sitzemong. This is Beth Cracklauer. Check us out on the Off-Duty Podcast. We talk about food, cocktails, all of the finer things in life. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. And become a subscriber on iTunes. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. Paul Vigna, Stephen Grosser, Aaron Lucchetti, and Rachel Louise Ensign with you. And folks... As I tell you all the time, and it's, this stuff is, is important, very important. Uh, for more podcasts, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. You can become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. We are on all those platforms. And why don't you follow us on Twitter? We're friendly folk on Twitter, at WSJ Podcasts. Uh, Rachel, very interesting story you wrote. We want to get into this now about the banks. Look, everyone knows what the banks do. They make loans. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows the banks make loans to a lot of different entities. One of those has been the energy sector. They've made a lot of loans to the energy sector. It's kind of been a black box, and now we're starting to get a little clarity on it. How bad is the bank's exposure to the energy sector? Well, a lot of those details have just started coming out in in recent months. And you know, banks have been under a lot of pressure since uh, oil and gas prices have declined to share more information. Investors mm-hmm. are eating it up. And so recently they've started to disclose this thing called the unfunded loans. It's basically loans that they've promised to these companies, but the companies haven't tapped yet. A lot of times it's a line of credit. Okay. And so what we did today is before earnings, we tallied up um, this amount at all the biggest banks and kind of talk about it, talk about what it means, and it's, it's a pretty staggering number. So there's $147 billion worth of these loans. And of these unfunded loans. Unfunded loans. It's actually more, much more than the amount of loans in the, in the energy sector that banks actually have made. And the big question is, how many of these are going to get tapped? Right. Because banks really don't, um, don't want to make these loans. I mean, one, one analyst we quote in the story said, you know, let's not sugarcoat it. This is not necessarily a loan a bank wants to make at this point. Banks are running from energy exposure, and these agreements kind of are forcing them to make these loans at a time when they really don't want to. Yeah, one amazing thing about Rachel's story in which there are $147 billion worth of these loans. It's such a huge number, and only recently have banks started to disclose that they had this unfunded liability, um, this potential liability. So it's, it's, it's really an interesting time to, to focus on it. The, the, the energy prices have stabilized a little bit, but no one in the energy patch when these loans were made was contemplating you know, prices around $40 a barrel. So it's yeah. a real issue for these companies. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, kind of the, the playbook is you could just see how potentially damaging it is for banks. I mean, these companies that seemed really promising three years ago are now right. on the brink of bankruptcy, and yet they have these lines of credits that can be $600 million. Right. They go in, just take out $600 million, and then, you know, the bank is, is left on the hook for it. And I think part of the problem is this, part of the problem this, and we've had folks on, on this podcast talking about the energy sector, is that the the collapse in prices has, and look, this, is, this has been what they've been talking about, right? The collapse in prices has not really put a dent in production. You still have just huge amounts of oil sitting out there. You have companies that are just they're they're sitting around saying, "Yeah, we can make money at forty. Well, we can make money at 30. You know, the the number the, the number is lower, so they haven't been forced to to pull back on production. Seven percent below its all time high. Right, U.S. production. Right, right, That's exactly. Me, meaning my my point in getting around to this, getting back to your story, is meaning that I how I bet the banks really are worried that these 
companies are not going to be actually pulling back on what they're doing, and they are going to tap these credit lines. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think there was a period last year where um, banks were pretty convinced that things would get better, prices would go back up, and now they're just confronting the really unfortunate reality of right. the fact that you know the high yield group. There's a new study out today. Sixty percent of them are probably going to have their loans classified, meaning they're in danger of default, which is is very staggering. Yeah, and it's the classic dilemma. I mean, if you look at the market completely from from end to end, it makes total sense for these producers to slow down. But if you have a loan to pay and your revenues are mm-hmm. based on uh, producing oil, y- you need right. to produce, uh, or you're not going to get your uh, money to revenue yeah. to pay back the loan. You know, one of the questions I have is, you know, for the last couple quarters, what you heard from the banks was. Our exposure is not that big a deal. They downplayed it on, on earnings calls uh, pretty consistently. How, how much is this sort of starting to change, this is sort of idea that, like, we actually have more exposure than we, were, we thought because the, the correction in oil prices has gone on longer than most people expected? Yeah, it, it's a very good question. I think the word that almost every single bank has used is manageable. You know, that's yeah. what everyone says. Um, and, I mean, for the very biggest banks, this is a small portion of their whole loan book and you know the bank isn't going to fail because of these loans but at the same time in addition to the low interest rate environment we were just talking about it it is pretty painful and they're setting aside billions of dollars in reserves for this so and you you concentrate that 147 billion dollar figure is the 10 largest banks in the country essentially most of them yeah but a lot of small banks and sort of regional players also have you know, have been lending pretty uh, a lot to the oil companies. Uh, do you have you got in a sense just what how worried they are about the the sort of what's going on in the oil patch? It's really interesting. I mean, I think one thing that's come up over and over again is that all these banks made very different loans from one another. So, you know, some of the banks made massive amounts of energy loans, but they were pretty conservative when they made them. They only made them to certain types of investment grade companies and. Uh, things might be somewhat okay. But mm-hmm. then there are, are other smaller banks that definitely, um, you know, this was a new area for them. They lent to uh, riskier producers. And I don't think we've fully seen how it's going to play out. Hey, you know, Rachel, a question that I had reading your story was, so these are loans that the banks have approved these energy companies where the energy companies haven't necessarily tapped the loans yet. What ability do the banks have to shut off these lines of of credit to say, I mean, to turn around and say, well, you know what? Things have changed. And because of that, you can't have this loan at these terms, at least or something. I mean, what ability ability do they have to just shut these loans off? It's a really good question. And that's one of the most interesting dynamics here, which is that twice a year they go through this process where they cut back the amount of the loan or or they could raise it, you know, Mm -hmm. if if times were a little bit better. Um, And that's happening right now, even though a lot... And so basically ahead of that, a lot of these companies just said, well, we want the money while we can still get it before the amount that we can draw is cut. And in in one of the cases, actually, we didn't write about it specifically here, but I was reading about it. The company took out $300 million or something, and then the next day, or the next month, the bank came in and um, cut its, its borrowing capacity to $150 million. So now they're basically have to figure out what happens with all this extra money. 
Wow. Yeah, that's that's really an interesting point. And the other thing that happens at this time of year, so it's particularly noteworthy to, to look at this now, as Rachel's story did, is the regulators are doing their twice a year review of these of these loans and how to treat them. So some of the time, uh, the the bank will change its opinion in part because of guidance from regulators at either the Fed or the OCC or some of the the big banking regula- regulators who are watching this area closely. But the other point I'd make is that. You know, this is a long-term play. I mean, all these banks are in this business, and the price has been very volatile. But they're, they've been lending to energy companies for decades, and they want to do it for decades more. One of the things they definitely want to avoid, and Jamie Dimon talks a lot about this, is having the, the reputation for sort of abandoning an industry at a tough point in the cycle because when things get good again – uh, those executives, those hmm. entrepreneurs, those those oil folks will remember, remember it, it, and they'll go That's to a different bank. I, I, That's interesting. I have a question because we heard the same thing though about the private equity back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when banks were sort of fleeing the leveraged loans that they had promised for some of the biggest buyouts. I, I, I do question, you know, when it comes to money. People have a short, um, you know, a short memory. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, like, that, that's a good point. That's a good point. And in 07 and 08, that, that was a time when uh, some friendships were, were broken sort of on a daily basis based on survival. Yeah. I, None of our friendships in here. Right. No, no. no only strength. Only, only strength. Only strength. Right. Well, right. To that point, I think at some, of the, at the, some of the smaller banks, you know, these are banks that they're neighbors with their borrower. Yeah, that's You know, true. they have a house next door. And one thing that I've heard is that that's – there's a lot of speculation about when the first – when banks will start selling off these loans because they don't want the risky yeah. exposure anymore. And I've heard that's one of the reasons why that's not happening as much as because the banks don't want to just m- make their client and neighbor hate them forever by selling their loan to a private equity yeah. firm. One of, the, one of the interesting points that, you know, I, I re- we had a blog post out, um, you know, about, I guess, about a week and a half ago that I thought was interesting because it speaks to this point. There was... Um, and I'm blanking on the company's name, but they had a credit line, and the end of the quarter was coming due. So they went and got their $250 million so that their their balance sheet would look better. They had $250 more million more on cash. And that gave them you know, a little <laughs> bit more flexibility to then borrow um, more from you know creditors down the road. But they paid back within two days. Mm. It was complete window dressing yeah. so that they could then you know borrow more money to basically help fund their business so later on. Basically borrow. Money to borrow money. Yeah, no, it's window dressing on their right. on their earnings. I yeah. mean, was, I mean, yeah. and 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 the, and and the question is, is this going to happen actually more and more wow. with uh, credit lines? So, and, so and here's, low, here's my question companies. for Stephen Grosser: Are you going to be li- Are you are you going to be live blogging the reports tomorrow? I will be here. You will be here. As always. As always. Very bright. Who's tomorrow morning? Aaron Machetti sitting next to you is going to be right there with me. I'll be right there. Wednesday. This is Wednesday morning we're talking about, folks. We're taping this Tuesday afternoon. Mm -hmm. So you you both are going to be here early. Six, Live blogging. 6, 6.30. We'll be doing the Jamie Dimon watch, uh, seeing if he comes on the earnings call. Yeah. He said a few quarters ago he was going to you know, take a few off here and there. We're still we're waiting to see if this will be the first one he takes off. should be very interesting. All right. So, look, everyone, 6.30 a.m. Eastern time. You know where you have to can, be. And I, can I also just complain for a second about you know, J.P. Morgan? Just, just one second? Yeah. Just one I, second? I, I know. For me, this is actually like uh, – it would be quick – Moving up their call 15 minutes to 645. Yeah, what I are mean, they trying to prove with I, that? I, really? Come on. <laughs> They're already the first bank to come exactly. out. Exactly. Well, you're going to be here. What do you care? Right? Uh, no, not at 640. Well, now I'm going to be. I'm going to be at 630. Be. Yeah. So you'll that be here. 15 minutes matters to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I, I I'm, need my beauty sleep, Paul. I mean, I, I, <laughs> no, you don't. No, you, you're beautiful anytime, grocer. Thanks. No matter what. 
All right. Uh, let's leave it there before it gets any more uncomfortable here in the, in the studio. <laughs> I want to thank you all for listening, and you will catch us later this week without a doubt. We will talk to you then.